Welcome to the Dope CFO Podcast, where you can find the best information for accountants and bookkeepers that want to start and grow a highly profitable and flexible remote cannabis accounting firm. With your hosts, Naomi Granger and Andrew Hunziker. Now that's dope. Hey everybody, this is Andrew Hunziker, CPA, also CFO, founder of Dope CFO as well. Um, quick about my background, I've been a CPA for over 25 years, was out of Big Four, um, including PricewaterhouseCoopers. I won the gold medal award for the highest score on the CPA exam, as well as was runner-up for the Portland, Oregon Business Journal CFO of Year Award in 2017. And I was the first ever cannabis CFO to be nominated. Done lots of startup work as well um, and love um, teaching all of our community. We have now over 500 people in all 50 states in our Dope CFO program. This is called My Five Keys for Raising Capital in Cannabis, CBD, and Hemp. The, this entire industry, there is a lot of money flying around. Um, and so you'll find probably more than a, a decent percent of your prospects and or clients are either in the capital raising stage or pre-revenue startup stage. And so hopefully this will apply. So we're gonna kind of cover these topics the outlook for capital, and some of the top concerns of cannabis investors, and also five keys to raising capital in these different niches. And like I said, right now, even going back to the Colorado days, there was always money. And that was one of the things I liked about the niche right off the bat, because I had I'd spent a long time in startups in high tech. I'm near Silicon Valley. We were in a startup community here in Bend, Oregon. And so I dealt with lots of tech companies and almost always they had great ideas, great companies, super smart, but very, very short on money. Cannabis was different from day one. There were always people, even before the hedge funds of the big corporate companies, there were many um, just wealthy individuals that want to get into the space and they don't care about the, whether it was legal or just legal in one state, they were ready to put their money um, into these companies. So Dope CFO, hopefully most of you all have heard of us by now. We have, we teach um, cannabis accounting and tax in all 50 states. We have student members um, in the hundreds all over the U.S. Um, we speak around the country. We've been in many publications. We um, Just this month in Accounting Today, um, I did an interview about CBD accounting. If you haven't picked that up, that's in the June issue. So that'll it'll be a good magazine to pick up as well. Let me jump ahead here. So let's look at the state of cannabis just generally right now where we are today. We're only, you know, uh, just over four or five months away from a major election. We, at least at this point, there's there's possibility of big changes in the makeup of Congress, President, Senate, all of it. With or without that, the nice thing about cannabis, this movement's going forward. It doesn't matter who's in the White House, whether it's Republican-controlled Congress or Democrat, it's moving forward. The number one reason for this is I think eight out of 10 Americans of all stripes, all um, whether they're Democrats, Republicans, independents, whatever your political views are, 
a huge percent of us agree that medical cannabis should be legal. And because of that, I think that's why so many states, we've gone from just a few to we have 11 recreational. If you include all, even the limit, limited medical, we're close to 40. Um, after this round of elections, we're gonna be getting very close to nationally legal, even without national legalization. I think as we get closer, I will not be surprised at all if the new administration, just like we saw with CBD hemp, we could pull it off schedule one very easily. How can we do that? Schedule one, to be on schedule one, there has to be no medicinal benefit from that drug. Well, I think it's pretty clear to most people in the US as well as scientists, hospitals all over the world, that cannabis has actually many medical benefits. And I think it's been used for pain management for probably centuries, which is a huge topic with them. Um, our pain med issues, but then also autism, epilepsy, other treatments, now CBD coming out. Um, so it's, it's pretty hard to say that, that this should be on schedule one. These numbers to me look insanely low, 20 billion, 70 billion illegal market. Just look at the alcohol industry right now, it's 250 billion and it's only recreation. I, in my mind, we will surpass that the alcohol market in the next five to 10 years. So that would be a 250 billion market. And I'm just talking about recreation. But if you look at CBD, hemp and cannabis as medicine, I mean, that could be a $500 billion or trillion dollar industry just for medicine um, over the next you know decade or more. So very, very, very long way to go. Even though Colorado legalized about eight years ago, we are just at the tip of the iceberg um, in the, these niches. We have the birth of three niches. Um, when I got in four or five years ago, it was just cannabis. CBD came out of nowhere um, to sweep the country, quickly got pulled off schedule one, legal everywhere. Um, so that happened very quickly. In all three of these niches, we have major accounting issues. We have um, cost accounting issues. We have tax issues, software and banking. And even the differences between tax, between cannabis and CBD on the federal level. So for um, your IRS taxes, 471 applies to both, but now CBD and hemp could also have things like 263A or farm accounting or 199A comes into play. So there's many more issues there. Sometimes people ask, well, what happens when cannabis goes legal, it's gonna, the work will go away for us. That, that couldn't be farther from the truth. It's going to be um, even more complex. We'll still have all these sub niches. Um, so down here at the bottom, many verticals, we've got farming, chemical processing, we have food and product manufacturing, we have retail, we have delivery companies now, distributors, also labs, all of those, any one of those could be its own niche that you could focus on. But when you look at the three parent niches of cannabis, CBD, hemp, and then all these sub niches, you get into a pretty big space and it's all complex. We also have um, multi-entity issues, consolidations. Most of these um, startups have, have several entities. We're, and again, moving quickly towards national and global lega legality. So on the current capital outlook, right now in 2019, Five states had more than a billion dollars in sales, and that didn't include Oregon. If you see the list where I live, although we are on track um, now with the months we're having to be a billion dollar market as well, even though it's a small state. 
alcohol market again over 250 billion considering that thc and cbd are being proven scientifically for medicine including all these different things and the potential can expect it to, to um, surpass the alcohol market again most americans support this merida capital is actually predicting a trillion dollar market in the u.s by 2027 so that's a pretty sizable growth the, so there, as this growth occurs, as we move towards legalization, even though there's a ton of capital here, there's going to be even more capital, whether it's just pure angel investors, hedge funds, private equity, um, big pharma, corporate companies, um, which we're already seeing come into the space. So what are the top concerns? So from almost the get-go, and even though I was just small in Oregon, people would find me and I would get calls from invest. So typically we think of ourselves as accountants, we go help the business owner and that's our role. But in this industry, since there is so much money coming in, many of your clients are actually gonna be investors. You're gonna get a phone call from the investor saying, hey, I put in $5 million into this company and I don't like how they're doing accounting. I wanna hire you or at least talk to you about doing the accounting because they're very concerned about their money. And particularly now that we're seeing a lot of kind of disasters occur publicly. Um, so early on, we were seeing people throw just money at anything. And so MedMen is a great idea. MedMen had a good product. Their brand was beautiful. They were, had great stores, lots of customers, but everything outside of product from accounting to HR to how they treated their employees was a total disaster. And they just blew through literally, a, I don't know, it was close to a billion dollars, a lot of money. I've dealt with two different billionaires that have, have called to um, talk about cannabis investments gone wrong. One of them put $10 million into a, a startup with almost no due diligence. And so that's kind of hard to believe um, as well. But people, they're doing that. And I asked this guy, I was like, why would you even you know, you're, you're actually a, a famous person worth more than a billion dollars. You have a clothing brand. Why would you even consider getting into cannabis? He's like, oh, my son, it gives my, my son is really into music and cannabis and it will give him something to do. So that's the kind of re reasons um, we hear about. Um, this isn't your normal business. Um, going forward, I think investors are going to be much more demanding of all these kind of startups. They're going to be looking at things like internal controls, corporate governance, um, counting policies, procedures. They want to see those, those structures in place. Um, they want to see great accounting. They want to see accurate and timely reporting and be very transparent. They also want to know, they do want to minimize the tax, but more importantly, they want to make sure it's accurate and done correctly. There are, the IRS just did this um, audit of 2016, Colorado, or not Colorado, Oregon, Washington, and California. And I think they found I think it was 70% of returns were wrong and grossly underpaying tax. So that's a concern. You don't want, as an investor, um, tax liabilities hanging over your head. Also, C-Corp structures and overall entity structure that makes sense. Again, I've talked to many investors that are calling me up. Hey, I invested, I own 30% of this LLC and they're sending me K-1s with all kinds of taxable income that I've got to pay real tax dollars to the IRS, but I can't get any distributions out of them because they're broke and from running the company. And so this one investor in particular, he had had this three years in a row. He had invested 
pretty large chunk of money in the company, but then he had no idea he was going to have to be paying tax dollars without distributions every year, and he couldn't do anything. He's a minority investor. So that's a big issue as well. Um, also, they're, they're worried about uh, minimizing the risk of audit failures for IRS audits, but also company audits, which could be state or um, um, gap audits or just compliance audits. Um, we've also got now all kinds of other entities around and issues around HR, OSHA, USDA, FDA state. So tons of issues. Whenever I talk to investors, we go through these things. It's, it's make darn sure that you are um, doing this stuff right. Okay, that didn't go forward. Hold on. Okay, five keys to raising capital. Um, these are, are just, I guess this is my opinion. I've been involved in raising money for a long, long time. Going back almost 20 years for companies I founded or founded with other um, people I've worked with. Many different capital raises from just small 50 to 100 grand to, you know, in 2006 with some partners I worked with, we raised $40 million on literally got on a private jet and went to New York, Houston, and Dallas over two weeks and just pitched hedge funds and investors and we raised a big chunk of money. So I know I've, I've spent a lot of time talking to investors and, and know what they look for. So just as the backdrop, 280E, we probably all know this as well. No deduction or credit shall be allowed for any amount. I'm encouraged during the tax year if you're trafficking in controlled substances. So that's kind of the key tax code. There's many court cases being argued right now, including Harborside may go all the way to the Supreme Court. What I tell investors and owners, you know, we're not gonna know the answers for many years. And if you're doing 2020 accounting right now, the IRS probably won't show up till 2023 or 24. Do you wanna push the envelope now and kind of roll the dice and hope you did, did you know, maybe got a bigger tax deduction or I would suggest be conservative. The big money to be made in cannabis is really building your brand, your product, your growth, your location of your dispensary. And when this goes legal nationally, there's gonna be some decent exits for people. So key number one, as we work through these, rock solid world-class accounting, with the, all the different issues around software, accounting, cost accounting, in, entity structure, tax in, implications, the different verticals, all these consolidations, um, you have to have great accounting and you have to do it right. I have never, ever, ever once in five years seen a cannabis company personally or via any of my students, and I hear about this daily in our group, um, our private student member group, it's just, it doesn't happen. This, this industry is a wreck of accounting. What happened since, since it was started from the bottom up, there was no big four here. We didn't have industry guides created again by the big four. We didn't have gap guidance. Um, there weren't people trained and many CPAs weren't even in the space. And so basically we had bookkeepers coming in trying to do the best they can, but they just didn't have the knowledge, the tools, the skills to do this complex accounting correctly. So what we have is most of the 50,000 companies that are out there right now, the accounting is, is very poor. It has a lot of room to get upgraded. So what are the investors thinking about? They wanna make sure there's a skilled team that has the knowledge and the experience and the tools to do this right. They're, this will improve over time. There are more people in the space, but it's still 
compared to the size of the market, it's very, very small. Um, a filled toolbox for that accounting team. So that's everything from onboarding, which includes internal, internal controls, accounting policies, PBC list, charts of accounts, all the cost accounting tools, tax and cash forecasting tools, month-end tie-out systems, perpetual data room, and more. By our tie-out systems in our program, that means we, every single month, we do, a, it's, I call it an audit trail of crumbs that goes from every transaction to source document, through our trial balance, through our, um, which will be tied out every single balance sheet account, and then that will tie into our financials. That way, a auditor, if an auditor shows up, or a lender, or a banker, investor, or board wants to review that stuff, they can go backwards or forward. They can start at the financials, or they can start at the transaction and go all the way through with tick marks without having to ask questions. It's all laid out um, for them. Also, you know, whatever team you hire, if you're an investor as an accountant, do they have access to a national community of experts? Because I don't care who you are. I've been in this five years. I still have questions. From day one, I was on the phone with everyone I could find, attorneys, tax experts, to get the knowledge I could get. Um, and even today in our community, we have about 300, including attorneys, CPAs, CFOs, enrolled agents, bookkeepers, MBAs, the whole gamut, where... I can ask a question and get an answer. It could be around a POS system or a tax code or whatever it is, and we share that um, knowledge. So that's a very key component. Right now, without the big four and being underserved by CFAs, it's very hard to find this entire key one without going finding someone within the DOPE CFO um, trained accountant program. So if you are an investor, I would consider um, and you're looking for accounting, reach out to me. We can put you in touch with the, the right people. This is just a, I'm not gonna go through all of this, very messy example of, I actually made this for one of my dispensary owners, just to show him how messy this was at his, and so in his system, on the left, we were buying 10 pounds of pot. Um, and of course, like all dispensaries, he's got all kinds of young kids, they're not actually kids, but you know, 21, two-year-olds coming and going, entering data into these systems, which means you're going to get a lot of errors. It's just a fact of life. So when they buy that pot, they're entering it in the POS system, which in this case is GreenBits. They're entering it in the accounting software, which is accounting suite. That also needs to be entered into the state seed to sale system. In this case, metric. In this example, um, GreenBits, that straight arrow over that says sync, it actually syncs. Um, that sometimes can be good, sometimes bad, because these syncs, since these software are also new and unreliable, when you sync one bad software with one good software or two bad softwares together, you get a bigger headache than you even started with. So we end up using Excel in the middle to tie all these different systems out. In the middle, the key thing to notice the, in blue, counting. How do you ever find out the, the, the right answer? Well, the right answer is what you count. How many gummy bears are sitting there on the shelf? How much cash is in the vault? We count cash daily. Inventory needs to be cycle counted weekly. You will find and fix errors. You're not just counting to verify the numbers are right in the systems. You're counting to fix the numbers in the systems because they're not gonna be right. And so it's very, very important to have key systems and tools set up. Key number two, you've got to have a well thought out capital and entity plan. So what does that mean? First off, what does the entity structure look like? 
is the structure of C Corp, um, which lowers audit risk for investors as well as potentially maximizing tax gains at ex exit. And how are the ancillary companies set up? So, for example, if you're a C Corp, you have double taxation. The first round, though, instead of being 35%, it's now down to 21. So that for most cannabis companies, they're not going to be doing distributions, not only because they don't want to, they're just in enough capital. You're building these companies, they're very capital intensive. And so if the plan is a three or four year growth curve to exit, you're gonna be reinvesting that money. What does that mean? You don't pay double taxation, you're just paying one round at 21%. So that's a good thing. Secondly, if you qualify for 1202 small company um, treatment, you might get, um, no capital gains at exit, which is another tax benefit. So not only are C-Corps better from just protection, asset protection, and also investor protection, they can actually be better for tax, which didn't used to be the case. But the other th piece investors love, if, the if and when the IRS is coming to audit that company, and they go look at this company, and like my billionaire example again, which we talked about in this LLC, is like, they're gonna come look at the company, and the second they see that you're an investor, they're gonna be like, great, let's go audit this billionaire. We'll find all kinds of things in his other companies. They don't want that risk. If it's a C-Corp, that audit risk stays inside the company. Okay, so now, um, also does the amount of capital needed make sense? So we'll talk about valuations in a, a minute, but I've seen many, many companies coming up with these models that they say, oh, they need a million dollars and they're starting a big farm or whatever they're going to go through capital like crazy. And so if they're starting an indoor or an outdoor farm or a big oil processing equipment company or set of dispensaries, you're usually talking about several million dollars. And so make sure that that as you build the financial model, it really considers what, what the things are going to cost. Everything from plumbing to marketing to legal to accounting, everything's more in this industry. So you got to plan for it. What's the pre-revenue valuation? Is it based on conservative expectations um, and some type of real value already contained in the company? Or is it just big dreams and an idea? More often than not, a ton of these ideas are someone just comes together, they, they get a license maybe, they've, they've located where the farm is gonna be, say, and maybe they've got a lease on it, or maybe they've got a option to buy the property. But for many of these, it's literally just, hey, we're gonna, we got this place, we got a license, we need $5 million, and we're just gonna um, grow a bunch of pot and sell it at very high rates. And our valuation is $5 million. It's gotta make sense. These investors are gonna look at this much closer. Finally, what's the structure of the raise? Is it convertible notes, direct equity in the company itself, a safe, which is a, the simple alternative for equity, I believe. Um, you can Google that. It's out of Y Combinator. That's more of an equity alternative that favors the founders. Convertible notes are what most investors like to use in startups, and those will be um, it puts the valuation off to later, to a future um, round of capital raising. It starts as debt. So if things go bad, at least the investors got a little bit of protection. Not a ton, but a little bit. Okay, key number three, and this one's gonna go through several slides. Um, this is concise, complete, realistic pitch deck. Um, 
I've already seen several people email me with an 85 page business plan. Investors don't have time to read through those things. Yeah, if they're about to write you a check, they may read through it and dig deeper into that. But you need a pitch deck that's simple, easy to follow, can be consumed quickly and um, has all the, the key things in it. Um, and also right off the top, most decks are only the best case scenario because people they're excited about their company and they want to say, you know, everything's going to happen great. We're not going to have any more COVID viruses or else the other things. And we're just going to look at the best case scenario. Investors want to know what happens when things go bad. You've got to, if you can anticipate that and um, relay that in your deck, that's a very good thing. So a deck will have each of these pieces. The management team is, is, key and any proven prior success is great. I see many decks that's just literally a young grower who knows how to grow the best pot ever made or ever grown. That's what they'll all tell you. And, and you look at their resume, not much else. You know, Joe used to work at the car dealer in sales, but now he's a CEO of a big cannabis company. More likely than not, they're not going to like that. So make sure you've got a team with a good proven um, CEO if possible. And maybe even if the grower is one of the founders, that person could be in the COO role or the operations role. But usually those people are not going to be great at running an entire company, which includes all the other things, including accounting, legal, HR, etc. Make sure you've got, again, a great accountant. Also, the good story, what is the background, why now, how did you get here, um, what are the key problems, what are your unique solutions, um, or is your solution just to, you know, grow farm after farm of hemp because everyone wants hemp right now. That could still be a good idea, but hopefully your story is going to be a little deeper than that. If you have a solid board and or advisors, that will be great. Um, I see a lot more of that in high tech. They'll come already with a, a built group of really good successful advisors and they've probably given those advisors a little bit of equity, but that will help in the capital raise. I've rarely seen that in cannabis. Um, I think that would be a good idea to add that in. The uh, market analysis. You want to look at the TAM total addressable market and what is your share going to be at year three to five. And so look with, we just looked at this in my slides. It's pretty hard to pin down a number on this market because it's growing so rapidly, but um, you just want to be kind of conservative and you definitely want to show that your share is not insane. This is a very, very big space with a lot of people coming in, lots of companies. And so whatever you're doing, if you say in year three, you're going to have 5% of the market, it's just not believable. Yeah, maybe somebody will get 3%, but it probably won't be you. Oops, I, hold on a sec. Make sure I got, okay. We're continuing on with realistic pitch deck. So competitive analysis, do you have this in your deck at all? Have you even gone out to look at your competition and can you explain why you're better? Um, what are the barriers to entry? Is this sustainable? Um, what happens if 280E goes away and more players come into the space? So for example, if your model is to just simply make the world's purest CBD, you know, CBD is an ingredient, it's like sugar. So if, you know, if your model was like right now, you are gonna 
start a startup and you were just going to make the world's best sugar, would that excite anybody? Um, I can guarantee you the pharma companies are going to be coming in and making some primo CBD once these um, walls come down. And so I don't know if that would be the best um, business model or idea. Also unit economics, this is missing all the time in the decks. What are the pricing or products? What are the margins? Also, what's your business mo model, which includes um, the revenue drivers and company strategy? How are you specifically actually gonna go out and make money? I saw many grow decks in Oregon. Oregon got really burned by this, including one of the companies that I came on after they had raised capital and their deck, I looked at it, it was like, it was almost simple third grade math, but it was just like, we're gonna grow this massive amount of pot on this one little farm, and we're gonna sell it forever at 2,000 a pound plus prices, which was kind of crazy. You know, it's a commodity. Um, prices collapsed in Oregon. Many farms went under because of that. Um, they weren't capitalized enough to withstand the bad prices, and everybody assumed pricing could not go bad, even though it didn't take a, a big econo economist to realize, you know, this was a limited market, a very, we had imaginary walls built around the state where you can't take product outside of the state. And so pricing did collapse. Also investor economics, again, this is missing all the time. So what's the company valued at? How did you determine that? Is it realistic? Um, is it, not, is it just some made up number that you, you're gonna sell a ton of pot at high prices and so the company's worth 10 million and you wanna sell 20% for 2 million? That's not believable. Sources and uses of capital. So if you're raising 2 million, that's the source as the investor. What is the use? What exactly are you gonna do? You're gonna use 1 million to build real estate, how much for working capital, et cetera. You need to think that through. What is the ownership size? <clears throat> Many models don't say this. If I'm an investor, I wanna know exactly, if you want a million of my dollars, what do I get? Do I get 10%, 5%, a convertible note? What am I getting? I also wanna know how quickly can I get my money back, time to pay back, but also over time, what is the ROI, return on investment? Is it reasonable? I wanna look at best case, worst case, expected case, and look at that ROI, hopefully is being reasonable in any and all three. Also, are there, there are ways to get to pay back quicker? When we did, um, again, this company where I raised 40 million, we had the investors, they got every dime out of that company until they got their $40 million back. And the management, the other owners, common, nothing. And so payback, that's a comforting thing to investor to know, okay, they're not getting anything until we get our money back. Also, as the owner have skin in the game, sizable capital, have you already invested your farm or put in equipment or whatever? If it's just you and an idea and you're asking for a ton of money, that again is going to be a hard sell. Finally, on this offer, make sure your deck has an offer. That's the whole purpose of a, of a pitch deck. You're offering something to an investor. So make sure it's clear and it can be simple. We are offering 20% equity for $1 million. That's super clear. Or whatever it is. We're, and sometimes people make these really complex. They have all these two paragraphs of terms and we're doing this convertible this that converts to that and make it clear so people can understand what the, the heck you're um, you're offering also along with that traction what have you done so far 
you want to show something more than just a license. If you've sold stuff, all the better. So again, the, when I had a CFO role at this one farm in out of Portland, they had actually had a small medical grow in in a house before they went out and raised capital and bought a bigger farm. And they had they had a great brand recognition. It was a great product. And so that made it a lot easier to raise capital. And they actually brought in some big investors, including you know people from the East Coast with some of the Home Depot money, et cetera. So you can get some um, pretty decent investors if you have good traction. Legal language, um, this is very important. Make darn sure you have a good attorney on board that's considering Regulation D and any other state laws. Raising money is very complex. You do not want to violate the laws, I guarantee on that. So make sure you have an attorney that has done this a lot um, and they will know exactly what you need to do, what language needs to be in your deck, et cetera. So that's super important. Okay, key number four. And I'll get to, if there's any questions, um, I'll get to those. Let me get through the slides and we'll go from there. You want to have a bulletproof financial model because investors will usually try to tear these apart. You want to make sure your assumptions are good. That's easy to read. You certainly don't want to have uh, mistakes in there or broken cells or formulas. And so here's some of the things I want to see in, in a model. I want it to be easy to read. I want it to be accurate. I love to get models. I, I do this all the time. I can almost always find mistakes. Someone will send me one and I'll just poke around and check a few cells and I'll find a mistake somewhere and send it back and say, hey, this that just tells me right off the bat, you're sloppy. And if your numbers don't add up, it's only gonna get worse once you're actually running a company. Um, do the numbers agree to the deck? So this happens all the time. You build your deck or the, the grower guys over here building the deck and maybe whoever you're got helping you with the numbers is building the model. And maybe at one point in time, they actually agreed to each other. So there'll be some slides in your deck that say, here, look at our revenue projections, look at our EBITDA projections. And then you've got your financial model in Excel that supports that, but sure enough, things change as you're out there raising capital and you start tweak, you may have an investor say, that's crazy, you should lower this. And so you change the model, but you forget to change the deck. And so I always make sure if there's a number in the deck and usually it's the big numbers, I jump in and make sure they agree to the model. Oftentimes they don't. So make sure that that happens. You wanna make sure all the financial statements are there. Again, many models I see only have a P&L that's not a lot of great information if I don't have a balance sheet and a statement of cash flows. So make sure you have all of those, show them with one column each for year one to five. If you wanna break down the P&L for year one by month, that's also good because you, year one is all, often crucial getting the company up and running and you wanna look at that month by month. But usually um, I like to see it very simple. And again, people will send me models that have 30 tabs and they flow every which way, they take forever to review, and I won't even look at it. So in, in a model that I wanna see, I want the very first tab to be a summary, then I'm gonna go into the balance sheet, the P&L tab, statement of cash flows, and then there's gonna be an assumption tab. It's very simple, it reads left to right like we read normally, and um, should be simple. On your assumption tab, make sure you have all the key assumptions um, shown and they're reasonable. Um, and this would include 
So for one, if you're growing your production plan, like exactly where and how you're going to be growing it. Um, if you have different grow rooms, does it make sense? What is the pricing? Is it reasonable? Um, also, what's your payroll for the key executives, for the people working on the farm? Um, what are you looking around pricing? Other key assumptions could be all kinds of things, but make sure those assumptions are outlined clearly. Like for example, if you say, we're going to grow revenues 7% every year, we'll put that out and put why you came up with that. Why on earth are you going to grow? Are you sure? Do you have a, do you have more space to grow more plants? How is that growth occurring? On the summary tab, we want to make sure the key metrics um, are listed the expected returns, including the payback and the ROI, um, also financial ratios. We're going to show the investor capital coming in, the internal rate of return, which will show kind of their, their growth and return over year five exit, also under different um, exit valuations, including overall ROI um, to the investor. Also make sure to have best case, worst case, and see what, show what happens if if you all these predictions are off by 50%. And so sometimes you can put a switch in the summary, it's, it's an Excel switch, and you can make it at one. And so that's kind of one is your expected case, but you can, if you change that cell to say 50%, that means everything gets worse by 50%, maybe your revenues drop by 50% or your expenses go up and you can flow that through and real quickly say, hey, look, we're still making money or we're still at least surviving. Key number five, access to investors and roadshow plan. Again, we get a lot of calls, but can you build our model or help with our, our raising capital? And by the way, actually, we really want you just to, to provide us investors who will lend us money or invest in the company. So if you're the owner or the founder, you're going to have to um, help with the investor piece of the deal. And so do you plan to using angel networks, friends and family is usually a good place to start in your connections. Who do you know? Cause you're going to have to bring some of these investors um, to the table. Um, cannabis investor funds, are there other ideas, but you need to have a, a really good strategy about how you're going to get in front of people, how and when, um, are you going to actually use an investment banker and do a formal roadshow like we did where you actually just set up about 30 meetings and you go around over a couple of weeks and hit a lot of different parties. That's harder to do in cannabis. If you could do that, the, the benefit of that is you can get, um, you can get a lot of excitement around what you're doing and you can get these companies actually bidding against each other. Um, that's the best case. More often than not, we're finding investors struggling to find people. And, and right now with the, you know, with the economy, COVID, the virus, you know, people are, are being very more careful with their money. Have you practiced as well? This is a good one. Most communities have angel networks with mentors, oftentimes free mentors. I do this myself where you can, you know, practice your plan, make sure it looks good. Um, try it with friends before you go out and, and really do it where people, um, it can be intimidating. You get in a room with six people just peppering you with questions and trying to find weak spots. Um, it's, it's good to practice. So here's a few other challenges to address um, in your plan. So you, these, are, these are just challenges in general for Cannabis CEO. And so you just wanna think this through as you build your deck and your plan. How are you gonna deal with this? So inventory and cash, 
those are massive assets, whether at the dispensary or the farm or wherever, or even um, fixed assets equipment. If you're a processor, how are you going to manage these? What controls are in place? Do you have internal controls set up? Um, also around how do you deal with the problems around all the software and seed to sale systems, the massive amount of cash, um, POS systems. So all those kinds of software systems, you need that plans for how you're gonna do it and maintain and let these investors know you've thought this through. You know there's cash issues, you know there's banking issues, you know there's payroll issues. How are you gonna deal with it specifically? Maybe you're in Oregon and you've located the MAPS credit union that will bank banks bank your company think that through ahead of time and you'll have the answer to the question because you'll get that question the investor will say well what are you going to do to protect the cash or what are you going to do to get banking um, investors are now aware that the irs is watching and also winning almost every case the irs is pretty much clearly stated they're going to be coming after the cannabis companies in a big way um, they know the basic tricks and these are in the courts right now you know there's only a few first and foremost the idea that either 280E is unconstitutional or it violates one of the amendments of the Constitution, those are working their way through the courts or the tax, you, you can't tax on something other than income. Um, so those are still working th through the courts. But as far as the three main games, first of all is complex entity structure with no purpose other than to avoid tax. The courts, they know that. They can come in and say, I don't care if you have 12 entities, we just see one entity and we're gonna treat you like one entity. And so that can actually backfire and lead to double taxation, which you don't want. Um, the other trick, which isn't even a trick, it's just bad accounting, putting everything into cost of goods sold and inventory. Um, that I don't think will fly. We've seen a lot of that. Also non-cannabis divisions, like for example, you sell t-shirts and hats at the dispensary, but then you put, you know, you your sales for the year are 50,000 of t-shirts and hats, but you allocate a million dollars of losses. That's not gonna work. Um, so again, these these ideas were pitched and many companies are doing them. It's, it's not the best idea. We tell when we speak, um, the cannabis CEOs and owners, we say do 280E correctly and or conservatively. And in the meantime, work on your brand, market share, location, growth, vertical integration, valuations will be based on these factors. You know, when the walls come down and, you know, Budweiser jumps in and starts buying companies or, or other corporates or whoever, they're not gonna, 280 is gone. So it's kind of irrelevant. They're gonna be looking at the brand that they want and the product and the growth. Um, you can remember back when Facebook or Amazon, you know, that was their model as well. Growth, brand, net income was meaningless, didn't matter. Stock was, was valued based on, on those factors. So also in order for the cannabis CEO to operate in compliance with all regulations, They've got to have that qualified cannabis accountant. And really, we've I found that this branches out farther than just accounting and tax. When I would show up at the farm or wherever else, there's massive compliance with the FDA, the USDA, OSHA, the EPA, the states. And guess what? Nobody at the farm actually likes cannabis, certainly not the CEO or the guy who likes to grow pot. They hate compliance. And so oftentimes it just wasn't being done. And so it would fall to the accountant. If we're accountants, we can add that into our service area as well. So that's a, a big potential for gaining um, um, services. 
Thanks for listening. For more information on our program, what we're all about, make sure you go over and visit us at dopecfo.com. For more tips, industry news, um, updates, you can also follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. We have a Dope CFO Facebook group where I also host Facebook Lives every single Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific. Um, We bring a wealth of knowledge about the cannabis and hemp CBD industries to these lives. Uh, Make sure you come with questions as well because every live ends with a Q&A and usually we have a giveaway as well. Um, This Facebook group is also full of marketers, attorneys, other accountants, bookkeepers who can support you and answer your questions. Um, And also you may want to subscribe to our podcast. Um, And finally, don't forget to be dope.